0: It's Ragu, I'm back with Mind Rolling, and uh, another brand new person who probably isn't that brand new at all, and uh, Michael Gungar. Michael, welcome. Thank you. And uh, yeah, there's so many interesting bifurcations here in our lives, and uh, you have um, one big whopper as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and and certainly we have to uh, we have to thank Pete Holmes. Yeah, we have as a mutual friend. Pete's a yeah
1: he's an amazing guy.
0: Yeah, Pete is that. So, um, but yeah, let's just uh, catch us up in terms of this really uh, powerful transition uh, from how you grew up, and uh, of course we all had that, but you seem to have seamlessly w- woven it all together in a really mm-hmm. cool way. So yeah, a little bit of background you from your teenage years to finding a yeah. way that there is a path. Yeah,
1: so, so I, yeah. I, I grew up a pastor's kid, an evangelical Christian pastor's kid who was all about Jesus, all about um, making sure that I lived a life that was pleasing to God and I was, I was all in, I was really like, I was the kid that was the the good kid in the youth group. I was you know, I didn't smoke or cuss or date or anything. I was like the, the fundamentalist gold star. <laughs> 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 and I played in the, the praise band and all that. Where was this? And this was in Wisconsin,
0: Wisconsin. Wow.
1: Yeah. And I didn't see that until later, how so much of that, um, fervor in my faith was really it was trying to fix myself I had a lot of shame um now that I look back I know a lot of it was just body like we we were raised in the way that our flesh was seen as kind of bad and our any desire like sexual desire or lust all that kind of stuff was like oh and I, I had to defeat flesh and i felt like i wasn't good enough um and no,
0: i so really good at that yeah
1: yeah i, th- I think the mental illness term for it these days is scrupulosity <laughs> um but i was i was very dedicated to repenting all the time and making sure i was right anyway that got tiring needless to say over the years that constant i'm not good enough really didn't work out very well um especially as my faith started to deconstruct, as I went to college and started le- reading beyond my own camp and my own stories and and kind of seeing how some of the stories that I was handed were were pretty small, so I ended up losing my faith um, all that while I was kind of becoming this Christian musician on the on the scene and the <laughs> like a, it was Grammy nominations and traveling the world and playing big places um all the while kind of doubting is any is any of this real what am i doing here Um, (laughs) how did i get
0: here yeah
1: how did i get here and then after losing my faith uh kind of went through a season of enjoying not thinking about god very much i'd had like some mystical experiences uh towards the end of my my christian journey um i went to like a a meditation retreat in Assisi, Italy, and it had uh, started meditating. and But I didn't have any buddy in my life or hadn't read anything to make sense of what that experience was, that kind of experience of oneness and everything was, I just kind of felt the connection of everything. And I, I, that wasn't part of my lexicon. It wasn't part of my world. It wasn't part of my community. I didn't know what it was. I felt maybe I was crazy, uh, but I loved it. I kind of kept seeking it and that seeking brought me through a lot of different kind of places, including, uh, finding Ram Dass, um, and his teachings and Alan Watts and all sorts of different, um, non-dual teachers. And that led me on a journey. Eventually I took some psychedelic mushrooms with a shaman, um, hmm. had a crazy experience with that. And basically just, uh, eventually as oneness kind of stabilized, I'd had these high experiences. And then, um, especially that shamanic journey, I kind of saw through the ego in a way mm. that it's, stu- it, it wasn't, I wasn't able to go back to, to really believe the ego as separate anymore. Mm. Um, even though the ego would pop its head up and try to, you know, it get pissed when the, flight attendant would tell me to put my guitar up in the overhead bin sometimes. Uh, I mean, then I couldn't put my guitar up in the overhead bin yeah, and then Michael Gunger would come screaming back, baby. Uh, but, but that sense of oneness and unity and um, I began to find it in all the great traditions, including the tradition that I grew up with, maybe not so much in the very narrow stream um, of it, but there's, if you look deep enough, there's people in all the traditions, that we're saying the thing (laughs) and, um,
0: and we're the thing
1: and we're the thing. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's brought me quite uh, on quite a journey. It hasn't always been, uh, easy sailing as all of that has changed. And I've, um, walked away from so much. And then our old fans or old music fans are like, what do you always, what are you talking about now? Like, what the hell are you
0: talking about? Oh yeah, tell uh, me about tell me about that. So you completely, as you evolved in this way that you're speaking of, the music evolved. How how did the music evolve in terms of just the words, or what are we talking about?
1: I feel like the all of the music evolves. I, I I don't know. I think the way we make art, it comes out of our most fundamental stories about reality, even in ways that. Are hard to articulate or hard to perceive exactly one to one how you know when I stopped believing that the world was six thousand years old, that wasn't towards the end of high school but uh, <laughs> which which is old which is yeah. old. <laughs> but but uh how that little shift, how does that change how I create in this universe that all of a sudden is not this tiny little human centric place. Uh, again it's hard to I think it's hard to maybe tie direct lines to here 's how the art musically changed, but it did every step of the way as my heart and my soul and uh stopped clinging down to this tiny tiny sliver yeah. of reality uh I think all the music and all the including the lyrics just continually expanded as well
0: yeah it's really pretty fascinating to me it's such a striking um evolvement from one thing to another uh and in and the way in which you express you've come full full circle and and it's all one woven fabric now mm-hmm. uh, but do you know kind of what happened to us when we some of a bunch of us went back to india with ramdas when he went mm-hmm. back the second time and met neem karoli baba one of yeah. the the central themes. Uh you know, you go back Hindu guru, you want to get a mantra. So Krishna, you know who Krishna Das is, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh he tells a, a story that he's made he's made it its own his own, which I take Umbridge Umbrage at. <laughs> uh so it's when I was first there, literally probably not more than a week or two, I thought, okay. It's time to get some practice from Hindu guru. So it was like I, I wanted to ask for a mantra, right? It mm-hmm. was normal and totally traditional. Mm-hmm. But somehow I said, Maharaji, uh, how should I meditate? Okay. And uh, he said, Meditate like Christ. When he was on the cross, there was no pain. He was lost in love with every sentient being, hmm. and of course, I. Wait, no, that's way. Just a little mantra would have been good. Not that whatever that <laughs> is. Not to mention, hey, I'm Jewish. I don't know anything about Christ. Zero. <laughs> I, I also got brought up in in a sort of the uh, a. Not quite what you did with Christianity, but certainly conservative. Mm-hmm. Certainly, my teachers uh, in in grade school, where I I was studying half in Hebrew and half in English, if you can imagine such a thing, which totally ruined me for school. <laughs> Basically, I never went to school. I have to say, um, but uh, so in that moment, it was it was stark how far away that was. From my experience, for him to say something like that, mm-hmm. and especially where we're in the middle of the Himalayas in an ashram.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and Ramdas came that day, he wasn't there, but he he returned from somewhere that night. And I said, "Listen, this is what happened." But you have a more convivial relationship with uh, Maharaji. Can you ask him how did Christ meditate? So he we went back the next day. I'm you know half a dozen of us sitting around him. And and Ramda said, You said meditate like Christ. How did he meditate? And then he, Neem Karoli Baba, just went back, closed his eyes, and it was just silent for a while. And that alone was a very powerful experience, being with somebody who wasn't living in duality mm. and, and being in that sphere was was extraordinary and very powerful. And then suddenly two t- tears came. From his mm. eyes. And he opened his eyes and he over and over and over said, you don't understand. You don't understand. He never died. Mm. He said that over and over. He never died. He was mm. lost in love with every sentient being. He sacrificed himself for everyone. And uh, we who were sitting there, it was as if you were a little kid, you know, and your parents cry and you have no idea. We were like, blown away that this was happening and basically he was manifesting whatever the christ is mm-hmm. which is whatever any it's this mm-hmm. the name of this wonderful book michael <laughs> just uh, put out and wrote called this and and uh yeah it's a new name for the ineffable how about that
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, another name
0: yeah another name and and so that began a journey for us of Okay, this isn't about Hinduism, Christianity, yeah. being a Muslim, being a Buddhist, being anything. Um, and and uh, we have this wonderful new movie called Becoming Nobody from Ramdas that's uh, mm. coming out actually shortly in September. And uh, in it, Ramdas says, after he describes his experience with Neem Karoli Baba, and he, he just trails off at one point and said, you know, he really wasn't anybody. Mm-hmm. Because there wasn't a somebody in there, and which is the theme of this whole movie. So you, going through what you did, just talk about, uh, so you started to really um, absorb other Eastern traditions, really, at this point?
1: Yeah, but strangely, in the, in the place that I was, and thanks to Ramdas and what, what I would hear from him about what Maharaji would teach and stuff, that was actually the first time that I would hear people talking about Jesus in several years in a way that I wasn't like nauseous, you know, (laughs) like I would get triggered um, when I would hear about Jesus because I had this whole idea that Jesus was this guy that, I mean, I, you know, he was supposed to be a loving guy and stuff, but he said stuff that really didn't fit the vibe that I, we all wanted him to have. He was supposed to be this loving teacher who told us how to go to heaven when we died. But when you really looked at what he said, it didn't make much sense with that cat if that's what he was doing. If he was here to tell us how to go to heaven when we died, and he really did kind of a shitty job. Like <laughs> he kept saying really confusing things and telling these stories. Wait, what tell me? Because what, Okay, what so so let's say uh, you know, when a, a rich guy walks up to him and says, How do I get when he just straight up asks him, how do I get to the, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? And if my faith had been true, the true answer would have been, well, you believe in me and you invite me into your life, into your heart, you repent of your sins, and then you can go to heaven. But he looked at him and looked at his his scenario and go, said, you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What kind of answer is that? Like, but then he didn't tell everybody else that. He told this rich guy that that was his attachment. That's this guy's, that what was holding him back from being this, right? That's what was holding him back from, from being his true self was he had constricted with these, this, his attachments to his belongings and his identity in that. and that. Thing after thing that Christ says, he'd say, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to di- divide family from your parents. Like, these were all things that were totally opposite of what we believe, but it just didn't make sense. They just kind of like, "Ah, mm-hmm. he was a little mysterious. all his parables. Why is he teaching in parables all the time?" But then when I first heard Ramdas speaking about Christ, it was like, ah! it was almost like I, I've heard this uh, I think the first, first guy I heard this example from was Brian McLaren, but he talked about how you have all these puzzle pieces in a puzzle and if you don't know what the box top is those puzzle pieces are really kind of useless right like if you if you don't have an idea of what the puzzle is you can't they're just pieces and so we had all these pieces of Jesus's sayings and what he said and it didn't really fit together but it's because we had this box top idea of what Jesus was that just totally was wrong and so hearing it through this new lens of oneness of um not Jesus being some special guy that we're supposed to believe in so that he can get us into heaven. But Jesus inviting us into our fullest self, Jesus inviting us into himself. And he would say, I am one with the father. I and the father are one. You may, you and I be one as well. And I'm the vine and you are the branches. And he would say it. And we were just like, Ugh. and then he, <laughs> we scratch our head and then he would say, you don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then when i was a christian we'd read that and we'd be like yeah they don't understand what you're talking
0: about <laughs> uh, exactly and it's what maharaji in that moment said the same thing hmm. essentially you you just don't understand you don't yeah, understand. exactly you know you don't understand what it is to be completely at one and interconnected with every uh everything that's manifest in this world yeah Yeah. And-
1: it It's not something that you can understand, is it? And like, if you try, if you've understood it, now it's something that you're looking at that's not yourself. Now it's an object out there. Yeah,
0: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, once you're in subject-object land, which we all are, uh, and you know, there's no chance whatsoever to really experientially know what these beings are talking about—Christ, Maharaji. There's no way on earth. But it's points in uh points us in a direction we have uh again i'm referring to this movie it's a little bit of self-promotion here but but the reality is um i talk about because people say what is becoming nobody and i give well the the nth degree right the highest level is our experience of neem karoli Baba. there was no subject object duality thing going on there so it was extraordinary to be in that space where you're not in, in that usual relational thing with another human being, where there's a back and forth going on, where mm-hmm. there's maybe judgments going on, there's projections going on, there's desire going on. There's so many different things going on, uh, for the most part. But uh, in this case, there was nothing. But there's only that's rare in these kinds of beings being in a body. That is a rare thing but then take somebody, uh, and I give an example of Ramdas, for instance, where, when I first met him, he was completely present for me. He put himself aside, or it went aside because of his desire just to be present for me. That is, we can spend a life, and you know, then he'd fall back into maybe Dick Alpert at some points, you know, in his evolution uh, just like you with the guitar. No, you can't put it up there, uh, in, in, on the plane. So, uh, but there's a whole lifetime of moving constantly in a way that you understand that ultimately that this somebody that we've created, it, uh, it needs to be relinquished so that you can really be of service. And, and that's, mm. that's just a, a basic truism. So, uh, I, I think that, um, the the when you talk about the oneness of all of these, they're all saying that thing. Mm-hmm. I, they are all saying that thing. And Maharaji, every day would sit. We'd come there, and he'd go like this: only Sabek in Hindi. There's yeah. only one. Yeah. I mean, that was a constant day-to-day thing uh, that there is only one. And he'd say, uh, Hanuman and Christ and Krishna. Yeah, it's just one.
1: Yeah. And it's so funny what the ego does with that. Like we hear it and then we go, cool. So what do I need to do to to be there? Right? Like, how do I get to the one? (laughs) Which is funny because there's only one. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to be. There's no one else to be. But the, the funny thing about the ego is it's the ego is the movement of trying to be something else. It's oneness looking for some other oneness in some funny way. And that's right. what creates suffering.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's also easy for our minds to do real, uh, deep, uh, flip flops around. Yeah, there's only one. So just let's, uh, hang out here and, We'll wait for it all to unfold because there is only one and we are already there. We are that thing and we just don't real. you know. So there's a, that's my, uh, I take a little bit of umbrage with the non-dual thing hmm. uh, as a result that you can ignore uh, a lot of stuff with that up-leveling kind of thing. And, and then of course in our tradition, which is the, the bhakti, but it's mixed with Buddhism like all these retreats we do, uh, always have our Buddhists, we have them there as our backup, you know, for mm-hmm. straying into gooey stuff that we might do, <laughs> the gooey hard stuff. So we have Jack Cornfield. he helps us out yeah. help that way. That's funny. So, um, so yeah, no, there, there's, uh, discrimination is a big deal
1: That for sure. Sure, yeah. I mean, from where I come from with non-duality, it's, uh, non-duality has room for duality. It has room for the gooey and the, the prickly and the stoic and the, all of it. It's this all a, just the one still.
0: Yeah. I think we have a new thing here. We, we could really, uh, we'll trademark it. Okay. Can we be partners on the gooey and the prickly? That's
1: good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> my, wife, my wife and I use that sometimes in our discussions because uh, she's a personality that tends more towards the goo and I'm one that tends more towards the prickly. <laughs> Sometimes those are interesting combinations. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're good when they're healthy. They're good. Yeah. They're great combinations. Uh, good.
0: Um, so I like your poetry too, man. It's thank some, you. Some really, I was really touched actually. Mm. So the first little poem Michael wrote for this. Look at this book, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, it it know, took some work to get them to not I put my name it, on the I, cover and. Uh, I bet. And then, then you open it up into this kind of really cool. You know, yeah. Psychedelic you, thing. Yeah. A... Psychedelic thing. I love that too. So anyhow here, this, so this book is called this, this book is called <laughs> this, which we, <laughs> uh, we have mentioned or in my mind, it's uh, another word for whatever we can not express. So this, I'll, let me read this. Because I love reading poetry. Yeah. Thank you. This is all there is. Yesterday and tomorrow are just wounds and stories. This is not all there is. There is also that. Desiring milk while you drink water. That is suffering. Of course, that is absurd, for this is all there is. Does this confuse you, beloved? Perhaps I could say it in a different way. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell you are there.
1: You read that in a wonderful way. I loved hearing you read that. Oh, uh, thank <laughs> you.
0: Yeah, so just uh, um the idea of the, this, how did this come to you? <laughs> <laughs> this book.
1: Yeah. Um oh wow, I I I actually started writing the book I think at Ramdas's house on really? the street. Yeah. Um so in 2017, I, in January of 2017, I went on a retreat to Ram Dass's house and it was, I had had this experience of the dissolution of my sense of separateness, um, but I didn't quite, I was still kind of like, do I talk about this? How do I talk about this? Ought I talk about this? This is before you uh, went
0: to see Ram Dass. you had any, this experience?
1: this is kind of in the time that I went to see Ram Dass oh, was okay. kind of like, what do I, what do I do with all of this? Um, with this new experience? Cause as a person who has talked very publicly about spirituality for my whole life, um, like there was something about this that was so plainly not speakable, ineffable. Um, the, the Tao that can be named is not the true eternal Tao. and, but then you have all these beautiful souls that speak right that try to speak of it even though it's kind of futile to speak of it um, so I'm like should i should I and how much you know how much of I was just kind of in a i don't know I started jotting things down and that that retreat with Ramdas that that week was a beautiful experience for me um, we sat and I told him um a lot of my story and really related to him as far as how Richard Alpert was this thing right it was like this if Google was around back at the time Google would have an idea of what Richard Alpert was you know like and that for me was like Michael Gunger has it was not just my name as my brand my job it had a thing. Michael Gunger was the kind of cynical Christian musician that and it had this feeling to it. Um, and as a person who was constantly practicing remembering loving awareness, practicing remembering who I really am, uh, sometimes the Michael Gunger people just calling me Michael Gunger would be like, kind of throw me back. It, it was just, it had a feeling about it. And so, Ramdas, as we were talking about it, he's like, what kind of name would you like to have? And I was like, sometimes Michael Gunger feels like and I laughed. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And he kind of leaned back in his chair, closed his eyes, and just waited for a while. And I could feel like ego coming in, and going like, ooh, Ramdas gonna give you a name. I'm like, let's just say, hey, hey, ego, let's just be here. This is a beautiful moment. So just kind of calm down and breathe and just sat there in it for a while while he waited. And then finally he opened his eyes and goes, Vishnu, Das. Mm. Um, and he told me about Vishnu. He, he said, um, "He seen me as a person, like I've lived so much of my life in my head, trying to figure all this out, trying to make all these constructs make sense together. He said, when you're in your head and your heart, and when those two join, there's Vishnu in this moment mm. and um and so then he went through and he we just kind of sat in the moment and stared into each other's eyes and were just present as loving awareness it was gorgeous and that name for me was really uh it was a real it was a gift of grace because for people that were really close to me, especially for 2017, 2018, kind of that zone, it was a helpful reminder for people that were close to me that kind of knew my spiritual journey, could call me that in a way that called me back to this moment, called me back to the reality of who I really am. And lovely enough, through all that time, the Michael Gunger thing doesn't hold the same weight for me anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't trigger. I needed like a little breath from it with people really close around me and it was i got i feel like the grace was there for that the vishnu thing was a beautiful gift and it's still some people still call me that um i don't feel like i need it like i i did for a minute there just to michael is just as much uh part of oneness as as Vishnu. (laughs) even michael's a constriction of oneness but i i don't i don't have to identify with michael anymore Yeah. yeah
0: <clears throat> Vishnu Das. Well, and, and you, well, it meant enough so you put it as a, uh, underneath yeah. my, under, underneath your English name. So, um, well, the only thing I would say to that is because this all happened to me mm-hmm. and many of us uh, that were in India back in the day with Neem Karoli Baba. And um, I got my mother, especially, she was a problem.
1: Mm. What do you mean?
0: First of all, my name Ragu is a sh- is a nickname off of the total name, which nobody can pronounce. Raghavindra Das is my <laughs> real name, and even in India, I got on a train after I got the name, and some Indian people said, "What is your good name, sir?" Mm. And I said, Raghavindra Das," and they went, "Huh? What? Really?" I knew, okay, I'm screwed now. Okay, <laughs>
1: yes, they can't say it in India.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah no, that's funny. So it became ragu uh which um you know then it's the operator going who ragu spaghetti sauce you know so I got that now. Oh man. Yeah so but you know what in the end uh I my mother finally did she step. did. Yeah she just she surrendered and went and she was a marxist so it was a bit of a real <laughs> difficult thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and uh, it's so over the years certainly because when I, I was in the music business as well mm-hmm. in Los Angeles for quite some time, and and you know, so I did not use that name in corporate world, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I have found it being somewhat of a rudder, and we can I can always go back to my English mm-hmm. name Mitchell. He's a Screw up, okay. Mm, mm-hmm. Actually, Sharon Salzberg has a has a. She uses, yeah. Well, when you know things, I have negative thoughts or do something stupid or whatever. Um, I blame it on Lucy. She has an invented name. Ah. From where you can go. Okay, that bullshit is just Lucy. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. So I don't know. You might try it on, Vishnu Das.
1: Oh, I love it. I I have tried it on for sure. I, I love. I love the name, but why I say I don't need it for a while, it, a lot of it is my family, uh, mm. friends that I can tell, feel uncomfortable with the name. I'm like, mm. please save yeah. yourself the trouble. <laughs> like yeah. if you can't, And that, that's just, I, I'm just speaking for me. Yeah, no, no. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm jiving I... you a little
0: bit about that. <laughs> because, uh, it's, um, it, it's, I can completely see, where it would have the opposite Mm -hmm. effect, where people are now projecting woohoo-ness. Yeah. (laughs) So I get it. Yeah. So the other thing with the book, I just want, the other thing I really kind of thought it's right up my alley that uh, you chop it up into the Four Noble Truths Mm -hmm. and uh, work through that. And I I thought that is a real, uh, as far as I'm concerned, real benefit for people in terms of realizing um, the reality of the Buddha and what he said. And um, can you, can you recall, there's a couple of cool things. You have a, a very early on a chapter around suffering and uh, you talk about two different kinds of suffering, a short story, suffering one and suffering two. Can you, mm-hmm. you recall it? And... I can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of making in the book, I make the distinction between pain and suffering. Mm. Um, and I tell two stories of one that really involves uh, some, a lot of physical pain, but it was, I think it was in 2016, I took some mushrooms and went to a flotation tank, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which they don't recommend to do at the flotation place, but I thought it'd be an interesting experience and boy, it was. Uh, But I I can't recommend it. It wasn't very safe because I got up afterwards and was a mess. Like I somehow got my clothes on, but I didn't dry off. I was all salty. I just walked outside and thought I could turn any car into an Uber to go. (laughs) But on my way out, I mean, I was just in this blissed out oneness, total ego death. um, And I ran into a glass wall on my way out (laughs) And smashed my nose on it pretty hard. <laughs> just smashed my face right against the glass. And I can remember just no suffering whatsoever. There was this, all this pain, but the pain was just being read as sensation. Just like, wow, look at this. Look at all this color, basically. <laughs> this, this physical color <laughs> of, of sensation. Um, so a lot of pain, no suffering. And then I told a different story, which uh was when i i had some trace b- amount of blood in my urine and i had to go get it checked out and they said they were going to have to take a look up in my bladder and i was like how do you how do you do that <laughs> x-rays <laughs> like no we're going to have to Damn. physically go up there i was like i don't i only know one way up there and that's that's not something i would prefer you to do um <laughs> but, so they said yeah sorry we got to do it so I'm hoping the scope that they're going to have to put up my penis is going to be I'm like it's you know 21st century we're going to have some good technology that thing looked like fucking garden hose <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ridiculous. Um, Everybody cringing out there. It's okay. It's okay. And think about this, because most men over 50 are going to be dealing with this shit. Okay.
1: This is just preparing you. Um, Preparing you to let go. But yeah, it was... So it was terrifying. And I can't say that the thing actually hurt that bad. Like the actual pain, if you would just compare it to... You know, a bad headache. I, it probably wasn't that bad of pain, uh, uh, but it was there. And it's the fact that something foreign is going up a place that I don't want it to be. And so the suffering was like traumatically. Sc- I, I I I went home afterwards and just like got in the fetal position. And was like, ooh, ooh, I hated it. I hated <laughs> it. And so much suffering, mm-hmm. even though not a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Um and so kind of making that distinction between pain is going to happen, right? Pain is part of a body living in an environment. Thankfully, we have a body that perceives patterns, perceives uh, dangers and, and whatever else. So things happen and our bodies experience. Oh, pay attention here, um, and that can be physical or mental, I think. You can have sad days and but do you have to suffer on the sad day? I think you can make a distinction between if you're having a sad day and you don't want to have a sad day, <laughs> and you really cling on to, oh no, why am I not having a sad? Why am I having a sad day? I, sh- I wish I was having a happy day, and then it just actually makes the problem worse. It kind of turns it into this, the cycle of suffering because now there's pain, but now you don't want the pain, so that creates more. Yeah, and then you don't want it, and you push it away. You push it away, but it just creates more and more suffering. Um. So I actually just kind of embrace I've, over the, and I just a couple of weeks ago um, as the last few years I've been practicing with this, uh, I had this burn on my calf. I, it was a, it was a really hard day. Really sad. Like there was some financial stuff that happened in the morning. And then we went, I tried to get a break from all of it. It was real stressful. I went and took a break with my girls and took them, chucky e. cheeses but one of the cars had a flat tire we have two cars and then the other one broke down while we were there so i had the, my little five-year-olds going crazy and screaming and we're trying to it's really hot and trying to get her home so i call an uber and end up leaving my wallet in the uber while i was calling the tow truck
0: <laughs> suffering is and i know out.
1: the guy i know it was in there but we had a hundred dollar bill that was my uh daughter's birthday present from my mom in the wallet so the driver, I think, saw that $100 bill and said, no, it's not in here. Well, it's not in here. Thing after thing, the tow truck comes. I burn my calf on the muffler of the tow truck. Um, and it really hurts. And the guy just looks at me and is like, that'll wake you up in the morning. And <laughs> it was, and as Ramdas might say, it was grace. It was just so much grace that day. Thing after thing after thing of like, Am I going to suffer over this? Am I going to grab onto this and be like, fuck, no, 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 no. Give me, you know, or am I just going to like, let this open me up? Whatever in my body is resisting this. And even that pain as I'm burning on my calf, it felt a little bit more like that, um, that float tank nose pain. Like it was a lot of pain, but it was just sensation. I noticed as, as if I didn't resist the pain, if I didn't, um, Want it not to be there? I just noticed it was sensation. It was a tremendous amount of sensation.
0: So this this recalls to me a good friend of mine who actually works with Ramdas in Maui. Um, when was it? Last December in our retreat in Maui, we had uh, Joseph Goldstein alongside of his compadre Sharon Salzberg and mm-hmm. Jack Cornfield, who basically brought Vipassana back to, this, uh, to the west, uh, certainly to this country. And so my friend Matt was in the car driving Joseph somewhere and he said, "Joseph, if there's one thing that you could tell me as a, a young person on the path that would be of the most would be most helpful, most efficacious, what would that be?" And Joseph just turned to him and went, stop clinging.
1: Yeah. That's right? it. That's it. It's the whole thing.
0: <laughs> the whole deal. Okay, that was a great podcast. Thanks, Michael. That uh, is all of it, though. It is all of it. Uh, but of course, there. And, and by the way, everybody out there, Joseph Goldstein has the best book on mindfulness. It's called Mindfulness. It's like, thicker than a, 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 it's a Bible, okay? And Joseph can elucidate this stuff around mindfulness better than anybody I know. Mm. So uh, that'll be in the show notes. You'll have a link. We've done this before. We can't recommend that book. High, uh, I can't
1: mm.
0: uh, more highly. Uh, and in it is prescriptions. So there are prescriptions and antidotes to the, to the clinging that we do, to the preferences, to the mm. judgments, to all of it and uh so certainly one that's very big in my mind michael is uh, is the way in which we are so absolutely committed to the stories we tell ourselves and in this book that you talk about that a lot and uh that's mm. i thought you know this this is a, a real value because once uh once one understands how we do this and the way in which we are so mm-hmm. caught in it—talk about clinging—it uh, it changes so much so quickly yeah. in so many different ways. So yeah, talk about your experience with uh, believing in stories and <laughs> believing anything you think.
1: Yeah, the the believing the stories thing—I think especially—I don't know if you've heard of the enneagram, but my my sort of shape of ego wound is the enneagram five, which is trying to figure things out and by figuring things out and you can believe these constructs, you feel like you have a handle on the world. You feel like you have some control and then that makes you feel valuable. Um, And that's how how I lived for most of my life was like, if I just could get the right answers and just figure it out in my head, then, uh, then I'll be okay. Right. Then all the, all the shit, all the shame, stuff that I'm trying to solve or that I've tried to solve with religion and tried to solve with whatever. I just I just got to have the right thoughts, got to figure it out. And then you the new belief comes. And the, for a little while the new belief was oneness. I was like if I can just which is funny. It's like the a real subtle ego game in there. Like I just I believe that I have to have my ego dissolve. <laughs> right. Uh who's believing that that's, what's funny about it. Like, yeah. um, so when you're believed there has to be a believer for there to be a belief. So if you find yourself believing things, if you find yourself with really strong opinions that are, you're clinging to like, well, this is how it should be. This is what ought to be. Um, that then you already know the believer constriction is there that oneness is already Constricted into thinking that it's something other than oneness. So now I'm Michael Gunger and my beliefs are really important and really true. And I can get all the mysteries of the universe into this little three pounds of meat in my head here. Uh, And so the belief can almost act as a good um, check engine light in a way. If I'm really clinging on to some stories, like, well, but this is the true way. And that's not to say that beliefs can't be useful and practically it's not to say i you know that one shouldn't have any assumptions that's i think that's impossible i don't know how you would why would you eat if you didn't assume that it would help keep you alive you have to you have to make assumptions to move through the world but it's when i'm talking about belief it's kind of in your internal relationship to those assumptions like if if the world presents itself in a way that your assumption makes you fight reality as opposed to flow with it. I don't know if that's kind of an ambiguous way of saying it, but um, yeah. then maybe you're clinging to that story rather than using it. So you can use stories as a way of floating down the river, like a ball, like the Zen Buddhists say. Um, you can use stories to cooperate with your environment and to... Uh, survive and take care of people and, and notice things like racism and patriarchy and people being oppressed and abused and you can and see those story the stories of separateness they're useful practically um, but when you believe them down to the core that's where the suffering you're, there's going to be suffering there because now you're a believer rather than someone who's flowing with stories and seeing the stories as just part of the play that's going on within the oneness, Um, you actually start believing that that's how things are. And now you're cut off from your source.
0: Yeah. You say actually nicely in the book, uh, story is what turns one into two, Mm. unity into difference. Story looks at an ocean and draws a line around part of its movement and says, let there be wave. Story is a prison through which a single beam of uniform sunlight becomes a rainbow of different colors. It can transform an amorphous ball of Play-Doh into a house or a world or a thousand tiny Buddhas. And I think, uh, really well said, and I I, I do think what you're saying, the, the real truth is in the spaciousness that we can have around belief in our thoughts, belief in our projections, belief in our attachments, belief in our de- desires, preferences, all of it. Hmm. If there's a little bit of space and uh, go back to this movie, this is a good movie, by the way, Michael, go, where are you? You're in LA. Throughout? Yeah. Okay. September 6th in LA. I, uh, actually come on the 8th. Cause I'll be doing a panel after oh, in, cool. me in yeah. LA. Yeah. At the, oh, Lemley, the Lemley Royal. Uh, oh, great. West Hollywood. Um, so in it there at one point, uh, the whole screen is this gray, like cloud, right? And that cloud represents all of the dark, negative thoughts and emotions and everything we're in fear of. Yeah. And then he talks about, so suddenly the frame expands a little bit and then you see a little bit of blue in one corner. And that blue, from that blue sky, you, you go, oh, yeah, okay, that's a bunch of gray, cl- bunch of junk that's been rolling around in my mm-hmm. head, and a bunch of fear, and a bunch of separateness. Oh, wow. And, and you have, uh, suddenly, you're relating with that true place of awareness that we all have that's going on all the time. And but from that awareness, you get a little bit of spaciousness uh, around being so absolutely glued by these uh, negative thoughts and emotions and so on. Mm. So I I love that uh, that analogy. It's a great one. Yeah,
1: that is beautiful.
0: Yeah, and developing you know, which is again through mindfulness, is developing awareness, and through awareness, we create spaciousness around the really troubling thing around everything but certainly yeah. the most troubling things that we run into in a day-to-day
1: yeah i think that mindfulness thing is so important Just, I, I think from a distance sometimes that you can wonder people can wonder about what how are all these things like mindfulness and oneness and things tied together and i think that mindfulness in my practice anyway um when you when you pay attention to your body right now, when you pay attention to what's happening right here and right now, it's harder to get lost in those stories, right? Like the yeah. stories that you're suffering with, um, they don't actually exist right now. Like <laughs> as any sort of, when you're thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, what happened yesterday, those things are not actually happening right now. And you're just lost in those moments, those illusory moments, moments rather than feeling what's happening so you if you're paying attention to sensation or to breath or to malas or whatever it is you're paying attention to now you're paying sensations only happen now so that mindfulness when it comes back to the present moment um some of those stories kind of lose their power
0: yeah yeah it's beautiful there's one wild thing by the way in, in the book which is a quote from your daughter who at the time was three years old Emily, Yeah, Amelie. Amelie. She said, there's blood in your heart, and Jesus is in the blood. <laughs> I don't even, I didn't even get to read the whole chapter. You know, it's kind of where I got. Um, one day, so it just tripped me into this thing I thought I had to mention to you. One day, um, Ramdas and I and Krishnas and a few other people were sitting with Maharaji. He was like looking out, he was in a room looking through a window a screen and uh, Ramdas was lamenting over the fact that he felt completely impure. Hmm. And, uh, and Maharaji <laughs> looked at him <laughs> what? No, what do you mean? You're not impure. I let you go peel potatoes in the kitchen. Like, only of course, if yeah, you yeah. had lived in India, would you understand that with food. Yeah you know uh, foreigners are not considered proper to be in a kitchen that's brahmin blah 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 you mm-hmm. know, it's all that caste stuff maharaji all he all day long he was cutting through all of that stuff mm. he, so he said that and then he said the same blood runs through all of our er, mm. the, the blood of christ runs through wow. all veins. wow so you're 3 year old yeah that's so great! I love that. Point.
1: Yeah, she's gonna be a. I mean, she already is, but she's been asking the questions, the big questions, since, really? since she was three. Like, what is all of this? Since so that that question. Uh, that's the question that'll that'll lead you some to yourself eventually. Usually, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. And then, of course, uh, we're just kind of at the end of this uh, our thing here. Uh, but towards the end, we talk about. To me, this is the final and in, great interpretation, although comes with a caveat for what this is. And the chapter is this is love. Mm. And of course, I know that you are not talking about the transactional stuff that most mm-hmm. of us uh, assume when that word comes along. Um, I like to use the word uh, "love with no cause" mm. to mm-hmm. differentiate it a little bit. And Ramdas, of course, uses "unconditional" because that's mm-hmm. our experience. Uh, once you see somebody absolutely knows every thought in your head and everything you've done, past, present, future, and is living in in the universal consciousness, then it's hard for you. You know, at that point, you're like, "Okay, I, I'm gonna let that go. Mm-hmm. Just." Uh, it, and it ends up uh that that love is there unconditionally is is a, you know it's an incredible thing mm. and and that experience again doesn't have to happen by going to india uh as you uh, you yourself have experienced over these years and uh so this is love and that love is absolutely interconnected with everything uh was the message that we got all the way back then when we went to india and it's and it's what we understand now it's what we see now in terms of uh, there's a lot of tough stuff going on in this world and how people are really showing up uh working on themselves and and doing social action mm. and not thinking that they're separate and there's much more unity with within that uh i really believe in next generation i mean you're a little further along than that but you're not that far removed. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a wonderful thing. This is love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that love, I don't, I think for human beings, love is one of the more easy ways to, to dive into the heart of this. If this, so like, towards the end of the book, I tell the story about when the Buddha held up the rose as his wordless sermon. And like, here's all you need to see. This is all you need to see to get anything I would ever say. I won't say as much as this rose, just look at it. Of course he didn't say that, he just held it up. Um, But, so I think all of it can be found in any of it. And I think you see that in all the great teachers. Jesus would, I think that's why he used parables. He's like, look over here, look at the birds, look at the flowers, it's all here there's nowhere to go there's nothing to see other than what it is but for some reason love um i don't know why but as a as a human organism it feels to me that's a that's one of the easier entry points into that kind of mm. dissolution of the separateness right it's absolutely like, so it kind of love brings you out beyond your constrictions yeah. but that's what everything's doing everything is constantly. Uh, just the beingness of everything. You look at the flower, look at the, a cloud in the sky, look at whatever you can, if you pay attention enough to anything, you can see it all there. Hmm. Um, but love seems to be like a good introduction <laughs> to this.
0: Well, it's yeah. our whole, our whole but, tradition is, is held within, actually it's, uh, I mean, as you know, if you've ever seen das or heard of them, uh, chant, the kirtan, yeah what we do is a big big factor in our uh practice for sure yeah. and it's all about going you know going into heart and having that open yep. automatically so you know hari krishna Iskan, the hari krishna Hare Ram, there's mm-hmm. the, it's called the maha mantra and as far as they're concerned they're, they're they may do stuff that's a little bit like where you came out of in terms of there's only one way but uh but they say that, uh, and it is said in India that opening the heart, the doorway to the unity is through the heart and opening the heart is done through the repetition of the names of God. So mm-hmm. so that's what's espoused. And um, I, I was uh, a few years ago, I was at one of their, a friend of mine brought me to one of their convocations up in the mountains of North Carolina, and which uh, is constant, nonstop this mantra being repeated with different melodies and instruments. I mean, it was phenomenal. Uh, it, and then I finally, and uh, one particular uh, chant guy, his name is, and I'm telling you, we'll put a link up. Uh, don't forget guys, put a link up to Madhava Prabhu because I, after hearing him and chanting with him, I, I almost became, I joined, I was going to join the cult. You're right. Ah! Just do the mantra, stop thinking about all this shit, and you'll be fine. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I was ready
0: to join. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to get burned at this. No,
1: you know, know, cults seem like a good time. I feel like I have a decent chance of joining a cult someday. Yeah, you do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll go together.
1: Yeah,
0: it's much more fun. Go with a friend.
1: Yeah, go with a friend. Get out before the guns come out. You know, just get out before they start. to.
0: (laughs) But the reality is uh, also any of the, I mean, this is from me personally to everybody. Uh, The reality of certainly using discrimination, using mindfulness, uh, meditation is extraordinarily important to get some kind of space from being caught the way that we we can get caught by our thoughts. At the same time, I recommend the practice doing some uh, music. Well, Michael, you well know this, is uh, an incredible way to allow the heart to open. And then if you add in that these mantras all have a certain resonance that's meaningful and you can allow that to happen without doing too much thinking about it, uh yeah it's it can be a powerful practice
1: yeah I, I actually say in the book i looking back i think my primarily my primary spiritual practice for most of my life was music yeah like yeah. same thing with mindfulness music doesn't you can't make music if you're not in the moment you literally have to stay in time right you have to stay in this moment otherwise you're rushing or you're dragging or whatever and uh so yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of music as spiritual practice yeah
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a fun book, Michael. Thank it's, you. And everybody, you're going to get links to this, uh, on that website. Be here now slash You'll go there. There'll be show notes for all the stuff that we're talking about. And, uh, becoming is the place to go. Everybody, it, it'll play through the fall in most places. Um, uh, Um, the movie and becoming com. You can see where it's playing and you can take a look at the trailer and all that stuff. Uh, This is a four years in the making, but for me it's more like 45 years Mm. making since uh, my first meeting with Rambas, maybe even more, but it's getting too weird to talk about that kind of span of time. (laughs) (laughs) I try not to say,
1: But, Raghu, you're the unborn, you know?
0: That's right. I need you to remind me about that. You'll send me (laughs) a text every week, will you? Uh, (laughs) Thanks again, Michael. It's been great. and uh, Everybody, this is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com, where there's the plethora of amazing podcasts and teachers. See you next week.